You know, I think uh, when we were kids, we had this perception of grown-ups not that different from the kids in the video. And I think that many of us perceived that the grown-ups in our lives, the adults, they had all the answers. They were geniuses. They knew what they were doing all the time. And uh, if you're a grown-up living in these times, you know just how wrong we were way back then. Uh, my kids, though, are under no illusionment when it comes to me. Uh, they don't think I know everything. They think Siri and Alexa know everything. And so we deal with that on a daily basis. Um, but, but I can remember growing up and going to church um, in our family. We went to a church and we were part of a church where people dressed formally, suits and ties and dresses. And, and I just had this perception as a kid looking at all these grown-ups dressed up and put together on the outside that I just made an assumption that they were all that put together on the inside too. And how little did I know? I stumbled on an article that was written a few years ago by a guy named Marshall Hayden. And he talked about that same reality. And his article was entitled, Would Every Non-Herder Please Stand Up? He talked about the reality that people come to church uh, often looking like they are, are put together, but internally they're carrying real hurt and real pain. And I'm speaking today to a room that's empty. All these seats are empty. But as I look at each of them, I think about you and where you're sitting and what you're facing, and the hurt that you're navigating. I think about a family that is this week trying to process the huge gap between income and expenses. I think about the nurse who's headed to a hospital hoping that she doesn't bring this virus back home to her family. I think about the couple that's trying to make marriage work, and it was already difficult, and this is making it harder. Both of you are sitting there today thinking about divorce. I think about the the mom and the dad who swore they would never, ever homeschool their kids. And guess what? There's no option now. You're in it, and you got to figure it out. I think about the the person you're watching, and you just moved to Prescott recently. You don't have a whole lot of friends yet, and this is the time that you would lean on those people. But you're not sure you really have those people. I'm thinking about the person who's afraid to go out. Because your health is compromised. And you're scared. And I'm thinking about the wife who puts on extra makeup this morning to hide the beating that she took last night. Sadly, when we're all at home, the one thing that almost always goes up is abuse. And I wonder, no matter where you're watching or what hurt you're facing, I wonder how you would finish this sentence. I wonder... If Christ could heal my blank. For each of you, whether you have a copy of the outline or not, I want you to put a word in that blank. Because I want this time we spend together to not be theoretical, to not be hypothetical. I want it to be real. And I want you to think about where is that place that you're praying that Christ would bring his healing power today. We're picking up a series that we paused last week. The series is called Signs and Wonders, and we're going through the book of John, as we mentioned in our reading plan every day. We're talking through it in our groups as we gather online, and we're going through it on Sundays and looking at these signs and wonders that Jesus performs that are recorded in the book of John that show us two things, both an opportunity to see who Jesus was And two, as the subtitle indicates, to experience the invitation he offers us to find real life in him. 
It seems, it seems like a lifetime ago we started this series with a message about Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2. We looked at how Jesus is still in the business of making things new, even me and even you. A couple weeks ago, Chris Inman, one of our elders, shared a message from John 4 about a man whose son was ill. We looked at how so often in our lives we, we feel like there's a boulder in our path in the way between us and God. And Chris challenged us to shift our perspective from our circumstances to the character of God and watch God turn that obstacle into the path, into the way that we experience Him in a real, powerful, and personal way. Today, we're going to look at the third sign that John records in his gospel. And we're going to learn this simple principle together. It's our big idea if you're taking notes. That you have to know you're sick in order to be healed. That if you're going to be healed, then you've got to be able to know and identify the fact that you need healing in the first place. As we go throughout this message, you might think, man, Scott, you must have specially cooked this one up for this time of coronavirus and COVID-19. No, no, this was planned back in November that this message would land right now. We didn't know about those things. We thought that corona was a beer and coronavirus was that thing on our Lysol, you know, uh, wipe, you know, packaging. We had no idea this was coming, but God did. He wasn't surprised, and I believe he wants to use this message in our life today. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on and go to the book of John chapter 5. If you're new to the Bible or new to church, welcome. It's totally cool. We'll make sure that you don't get lost today and try to bring you along with us. John is one of four biographies of the life and teaching of Jesus. They go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible. And in John chapter 5, we read an incredible story. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and uh, you can watch the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. After this, that's the previous story we talked about two weeks ago, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One man was there who'd been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another one steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who'd been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that we would also open our hearts. All of us have a hurt that we're dealing with today. All of us need to be healed. We pray that this message and your word would penetrate our hearts 
and that you would do the work in us that only you can do. And selfishly, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart today would be pleasing to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the time that we have today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to unpack this story by showing you the three stages of a healing encounter with Jesus. Now, you and me, we are each living unique stories, but often there are commonalities, threads that tie us together. And in this particular story, I think we see three stages that each of us will face when we have a healing encounter with Jesus. They're the three stages that this man walked through in the book of John chapter 5. And here's the first one. The first stage is, I have a problem. So he said in the big idea, in order to be healed, you have to know that you're sick. And so it begins with this sickness, this problem, this place that he needs healing. Now, before we jump into the text again, I want to point out something that you may have noticed if you were reading along in your physical Bible or your digital Bible. Maybe a question you have, and it's kind of lingering right there, and we've got to resolve it. That question is this, why is verse 4 missing? If you're reading in a Bible today that has verse markings, those were added later by editors so that we can find things more clearly. And you may notice that there's verse 3, and then there's verse 5 in many translations, including the ESV that I read. Why is verse 4 missing? Well, in many of the ancient manuscripts, verse 4 is not included. And so it's a disputed verse. The New American Standard Bible includes it, and this is what it says. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So the belief was, by some, that there was an angel that came down and stirred the water. Now, biblical experts, commentators, scholars are divided about whether this is the actual explanation of what happened in the pool. But regardless, antiquity records that there's a pool known as Bethesda. That's just outside the temple. This is the temple in Jerusalem. Just outside the temple is this pool of Bethesda, and it has five colonnades around it, or five porches. And under those porches, you'd have the invalid. It says the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And they would gather there and wait, because that place was known as a place of healing. The word Bethesda literally means house of mercy. These people were brought there and left there with the expectation that they might experience some sort of mercy and healing at some point by being in that place. And this man articulates in this passage that he believes if he can get down into the water, he'll be healed. But he's been unable to do that. And this has been his experience not for a short time, but for a long time. The scriptures tell us in the first part of John 5 that this man had been there for 38 years. This is not an unimportant detail. Because some of you have been thinking about that phrase or that word or that thing you put in that opening sentence. I wonder if God could heal my blank. You've been wrestling with that for not weeks, not months, but years. And this passage should give you some comfort that you are not alone. This passage sobered me because for me... This man had been there longer than I've been alive. If we were to pull it into the modern day, 38 years ago from today was March of 1982. That's a long time to be waiting 
for healing. That's a long time to be battling a problem. That's a long time to be in the middle of a great and incredible struggle. And it's no wonder that this man is in the position that he's in, not just physically, but emotionally. And what we're going to find in this story is this man thinks that he has a problem, and he does. He's invalid. He can't move. But his problem is actually larger than he realizes. And that's what's going to happen in his encounter with Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about this, but I want to kind of preview this part of the message by asking you a question. Because I think your experience, no matter how long you've been waiting for your problem to be solved or for your wound or hurt to be healed, I think you may experience this reality at some point, and I want to prepare you for it today, if for nothing else, to raise it as a thought for you. What happens if Jesus wants to address a different problem? Maybe for the last few weeks or the last few months or years, the focus of your prayer life, the focus of your relationship with God has been seeking Him and calling out to Him about this particular problem. What happens if Jesus wants to address a different one? What if our perception that this is the main problem we need help with is different than the perception of Jesus? And what happens if he doesn't want to address this problem right now? What if he wants to address this one? Because we're going to see in this story as it unfolds that not only does this man have a problem, but his problem is bigger and deeper than he realizes. And in our healing encounter with Jesus, what happens is we recognize, okay, I have a problem. And over time, what God does in our relationship with Jesus, is that he helps us to expand our view and we begin to see that we thought the problem was this and so often the problem is this. After discovering how long this man had been at the pool, it says that Jesus asked him a question in verse 6, if your Bible's still open. John 5, 6 reads that Jesus asked him a question, do you want to be healed? Now you might think that is a very duh question. That's a very... Um, dumb question, you might say. I thought it was kind of a jerk of a question at one point. But then as I spent more and more time with this passage, and I've been interacting with this passage not for just these weeks before this message, but for months and for years, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus is in this passage what he is all throughout the scriptures. He is the best question asker, and he should in fact win a prize for asking this question because this question is going to change the trajectory of this man's life. In the same way, That the question Jesus asked the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9 changed his life when he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus may ask you a question in these days that changes the trajectory of your life and your relationship with him. And what is so fascinating is that this question is a yes or no question. Do you want to be healed? Yes. Do you want to be healed? No. But the man answers him not with a yes... And not with a no. Here's how he answers him in John 5, 7. The man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. He doesn't answer yes. He doesn't answer no. He answers, I can't. I haven't been able to. I have tried. This man's focus is on his physical limitations and his physical need for healing. And what we discover from his response 
ignoring the question of Jesus, not saying, yeah, Jesus, I still want to be healed, shifting to, I can't be healed. I haven't been able to do it. It's not possible. We recognize that the healing this man needs is not merely physical. It's emotional, too. 38 years next to this pool has not just changed his physical condition. It's changed his emotional condition, too. And the healing he needs is not merely superficial in his body. It's deep in his heart and his soul. My counselor is constantly reminding me that my temptation is to seek superficial healing. And he tells me again and again, Scott, the healing has to go as deep as the pain. Anything less isn't being thorough enough. And so often what God does is he meets us where we think we need healing in the physical And he shows us that the healing has to go as deep as the pain and that the healing is not merely on the level we think it's deeper. The problem we think we have, it's often bigger and deeper. And if we're going to thoroughly experience the healing and transformation that Jesus is offering us, it might mean going deeper into the pain. It might mean pushing deeper into places you haven't been willing to go. And it might mean considering a path of healing that you considered off limits. Consider the story of a man named Naaman from the Old Testament who also had an illness. Naaman's story is recorded in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman is a wealthy, influential man from Syria, north of Israel. And he's got leprosy. And he's tried every source of healing that his money and power can buy. Nothing's worked. There's a servant girl in his home. And she tells him about a prophet named Elisha who lives south of them in Israel and in Judah. And this prophet has been known to heal. She says, you should go see him. So Naaman sends a giant payment and entourage ahead of him to try to win the favor and approval and cooperation of Elisha the prophet. And Elisha tells him when he arrives, he tells Naaman, hey, why did you send all that stuff? I'm only going to do what God tells me to do. And he says, well, I need to be healed. And Elisha says, I want you to go to the River Jordan. And in the Jordan River, I want you to bathe yourself and dip seven times. And after that, you'll be healed. And Naaman is not happy at all with what Elisha tells him. In 1 Kings 5.11, it says, Naaman was angry, and he went away saying, Behold, I thought he, Elisha, would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I had this expectation of what my healing was going to look like. And I expected big and elaborate. I paid for that. That's what I expected. And so many of us, we have an expectation of what God's healing is going to look like. And what we find is that our experience doesn't match our expectation. So what happens in the text is he says, Are not Abana and far part of the rivers of Damascus, where I'm from, aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in those rivers and be clean? And so Naaman turned away and he went away in a rage. He's like, if it was just a river washing, I could have done that at home. In a clean river, not a dirty one. Eventually, Naaman listens to wisdom. And he goes to the Jordan and he bathes seven times. And what happens? He's healed. But not, for, not before first having to deal with his expectations being challenged. And being pushed and invited to do something that up until that point he'd been unwilling to do. 
And I think the same thing happens in your life and in mine. So often, what healing Jesus wants to bring in our life does is it leads us to a place that up until this point we've been unwilling to go. I was reviewing this message with with our team a few weeks ago before we set it aside for this uh, COVID situation last Sunday. And in talking about this message, when members of our team, Pastor Clovis, talked about how so often in our lives we experience a, a shattering of our expectation and Jesus challenging us with what we've been unwilling to do. And here's how he said it. He said, so often I do want to be healed, but not if it means this thing that I've been unwilling to do. Yeah, Jesus, I want to be healed, but not if it means I have to do this. I want to be healed, Jesus, but not if it means I have to surrender this. I want to be healed, Jesus, but not if it means I have to walk down this path or go do this thing or abandon this thing or let you work in this place in my heart. I want to be healed, Jesus, but I have conditions on that healing. And maybe for you, what God is doing in this season is he is revealing the bigness and the depth of the healing he wants to bring. And he's revealing the expectations in your life and in mine that stand in the way. This week, these weeks, these crazy times have revealed in me that I have an unhealthy relationship to my phone. My wife has called me out multiple times and said, when are you going to get off your phone? For me, I thought it was just about staying connected to my team and making decisions and being aware of what's happening. And I thought I had a phone problem. So I'm talking to my counselor this week. And we're talking about my phone problem. And as you begin to talk, I began to realize that maybe my phone problem isn't the real problem Jesus wants to address. So up and before today, I did a 24-hour fast from my phone. Some of you are like, do you have to actually do that? Yeah. Don't judge my problems. I'm sure you have some too. But, but in fasting from my phone, what I realized is that I don't have a phone problem. I have a control and an insecurity problem that was manifesting with my phone. And I, I wanted to be healed of my phone problem. But what God challenged me with is, what if that means I want to deal with your desire for control and your insecurity too? What if you think the problem is over here with your phone, but the real problem is in here with your heart? I want to be healed, Jesus, but not not if it has to touch that. Because that's not what I expected. I grew up uh, as a kid listening to Christian radio with my parents. And we'd get in the car and listen and we'd hear different preachers. And one of the preachers I, I grew up hearing was a man named Tony Evans. His sermons would be on at night in our city. We'd drive around on the radio and I knew his voice long before I knew his face. Last year, Tony Evans' wife died after a long battle with cancer. And at her funeral, her son, hers and Tony's son, spoke. And I can't imagine ever speaking at my mother's funeral, but if I ever do, I hope I speak with the clarity and the conviction that their son did. Watch this video. As I was wrestling with God, he answered. And he said, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. 
because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand because of the victory that I have given you, there was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me. When I first started watching that clip, I was like that man in the background who just covered his mouth and said, man, that's, that's good. But it's one thing to hear somebody else talk about and something else to live. Because what these situations impress upon me is a question, and that question is this. What if how Jesus heals you doesn't match your expectations? What if Jesus does do the work that he did in this man's life and he heals, but what if that healing doesn't match your expectations? And is it possible that what has stood in the way of us experiencing the power of Jesus, who is still in the healing business, is not Jesus, but our expectations that we put on him? And what if Jesus is doing in this particular season with this crisis and this virus is that Jesus is looking to press out our expectations and push through our expectations so that we give him the freedom to work. And what if we have been the impediment? What if we have been the barrier? Because our expectations were the boundaries that we put on the work that God wanted to do. So the first stage was I have a problem. The second stage is it's bigger and deeper than I realized. The third and final stage is I need someone to save me because I cannot save myself. We see this in the man. He, he goes through this fight with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, about the Sabbath because he violated the Sabbath. And this is the danger if you are somebody who has been around the church for a long time. Your danger and mine is that we can become the people in this story who said, yeah, 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 you may have been healed, but you broke the rules. <laughs> you can't be healed on this day. You can't be healed in this way. They weren't excited the man was walking for 38 years. They were mad that he was carrying his bed because that was against the rules. And this isn't my sermon for today. It's just a sidebar. Check your heart as I check mine. And as we make sure that we're not Missing the celebration of what God is doing because what God is doing is not meeting our expectations and our boundaries. We all can be those people in this story. After that moment, Jesus goes and finds the man in Matthew 5, sorry, John 5. And it says, And the man who'd been healed didn't know who it was who'd healed him. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, when you've been invalid for 38 years, what worse thing could happen to you than that? Unless the kind of healing that Jesus wanted to bring wasn't to your body. It was to your whole being. See, I mentioned earlier that this, this pool uh, that he was around, he was unable to get into. Well, I think that pool and his experience there was a metaphor for what Jesus was trying to show the people who were listening. Because that pool 
as I said, was right on the edge of the temple. And in the same way that this man was on the edge of the pool, the pool was on the edge of the temple. And I believe that what Jesus is doing here is he is exposing the inadequacy of the way they had been relating to God to bring the healing that they wanted to bring. The man is right next to the thing he thinks is going to bring healing, but the pool didn't bring the healing that Jesus intended to bring. And the pool was on the edge of the temple, the place that they expected the power and the work of God to come through. And yet Jesus comes and says, I am now that temple. And I am the one who will bring your healing. And what Jesus is doing is saying the healing that you're looking for is not defined by a place, either a pool or a temple, or a church building. The healing isn't found in a place. It's found in the person of Jesus. And so we're all going to have to get used to the reality in the situation that God's presence and His healing power isn't contained in our buildings. It's found in the person of Jesus. And the healing that Jesus offers us that he offered him, isn't merely spiritual, it isn't merely physical, it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. The healing that he wants to bring in your life isn't just to your body if you get sick. It isn't just to your emotions if you're emotionally unhealthy. It is to your entire being because the power of sin and death has affected our entire being. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, another word for sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Some people believe that Jesus just came to heal people physically and teach good things. That is not why Jesus came. He came to do those things as symbols and signs of his ultimate mission. As physical symbols of what his ultimate mission was, which was to save us from our sins and to move us from death to life. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. As Acts 4 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I believe as we look back on this time one day, what we will see is that what Jesus allowed through this virus and through these challenging conditions is for us to become disillusioned by those places that we look to for hope, for meaning, for security, and even for healing. Because what this man discovered is that that that, that pool couldn't heal him. He couldn't heal himself. Only Jesus could heal him. And maybe what you're discovering in these days, as I am, is that I have looked for healing. I have looked for security. I have looked for safety in places other than Jesus, in places where it can't be found. And as Acts reminds us, there's no other name. There's no other person. There's no one who has done what Jesus has done to not only offer us healing in this life, but hope for eternity. As John 20, verse 31 says, He offers us real life in His name. Not 
just after we die, but beginning today. And when you experience that healing, when you experience that life, when you experience that change, what it does is it humbles you. Because you know that you didn't heal yourself. You know you didn't change yourself. You know that that transformation and that change didn't originate with you. And this is why throughout the centuries since Jesus came, humility has been the marker of Christian maturity. This is why it is an oxymoron for someone to be an arrogant Christian. A Christian is a little Christ, and you can't be an arrogant version of anything that looks like Jesus. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross for our behalf. And so if Jesus, who had no reason to need to humble himself, did, when we experience healing, the reason and the sign that we'll know that we've been healed is that it produces a deep humility in us because we knew we didn't do this for ourselves. Let me summarize it. This process is I have a problem and it's bigger and deeper than I realize and I need someone to save me because I can't save myself. At the core of our faith is an admission that we can't do for ourselves what needs to be done. Only Jesus can. In order to be healed, you've got to know you're sick and you've got to recognize that you can't heal yourself. If you're following along with your outline, I want to encourage you to walk through these next steps with me. There are things you can put into action this week to apply what we've been talking about today. And here's the first one. If you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to finish this sentence. I wonder if Jesus could heal my blank. Make this real. Make this tangible. What is that place? And then on a very different note, I want to encourage you, number two, to ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want to heal in me? So often we are well familiar with what we want Jesus to heal. But when's the last time you asked him what he wants to heal in you? And maybe what you'll discover is that he wants to heal something different. Maybe something bigger and maybe something deeper. Number three, I want to encourage you this week to examine what attitudes, beliefs, or choices in you might be opposed to the healing Jesus wants to bring. What expectations might be in the way of what Jesus wants to do. And maybe the obstacle isn't out there in your life. Maybe the obstacle is in here. Maybe you, me, maybe we're the ones in the way. And then number four, I want to invite you this week to pray the Bethesda prayer each day. I've invented this title, I've invented this name for this prayer, but it's a summary of what I've learned from this text. And it's a prayer that I've been praying that I want to invite you to pray with me, beginning today. Jesus, I have a problem, and it's bigger and deeper than I realize. I need someone to save me because I can't save myself. Jesus, save me a sinner and heal me. And that healing may happen like it did for this man in a moment on a day. And it may happen over many days in a process. But I believe that Jesus is still in the business of healing. And I believe that in these days, he's going to show us that very work in our midst.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for meeting us where we are today. In our homes, on our phones, in our living rooms, in our cars. We thank you that this technology is available during this time to gather together around you. To have our hearts open and to listen to you. And Jesus, we confess that there are deep hurts and wounds and needs in our life that are often the thing that drives us to you. But so often we don't see as clearly as you do. We don't see with your perfect vision. And sometimes what we see isn't the real source of the problem. Sometimes what we see is far more small and superficial than you do. And so we come to you today humbly asking, Jesus, what do you want to heal in us? Where do you want to work in us? What do you want to make new? What do you want to change? What do you want to transform? And Jesus, we pray that you'd remove the obstacles in us, the attitudes, the beliefs, and the choices that stand in the way. But Jesus, I also believe that watching this video right now are people, men, women, boys, and girls who have never put their faith and trust in you, ever. Who've never invited you to do that healing work that only you can do. I believe there's people watching who've never come to a place where they admitted that they needed someone to save them because they couldn't save themselves. And I believe today, right now, could be the moment where that happens. Our relationships with people, they don't often heal overnight. The things that plague us aren't often immediately healed. But our relationship with you can change in a second. And it could change this second. And if you want that in your life, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need to be saved. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I need you. So today, I invite you into my life. I receive your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, your healing. I stop putting my trust in you, Jesus, and I begin to put my trust in you. I stop looking to myself, Jesus, and I look to you. Come in. Have your way in me. Make your home in me. And make me new. Do the work in me, Jesus, that I can't do for myself. Do that work that only you can do. And in your name I pray, amen.